So if you work in technology at all and been keeping up with the news, you probably heard the term log4j. What is log4j or log for shell? Well, today we have a very special guest with us that's going to explain what it is and how to keep yourself safe after this. Welcome to the Bearded IT Dad Podcast, where technology meets career development. Join us as we talk with industry experts, get advice and insight about their expertise and real world experience in the information technology field. Have to learn to learn on your own. The number one thing you can do to get out of the help desk or out of any entry level position is be exceedingly good at your current position. The elephant in the room, right? Money is obviously a, a certain barrier and roadblock, but I would charge and, and, and argue against that. There are so many resources out there available for free on the internet. From starting your IT journey to advancing your career, you'll get actionable tips and practical advice to help you succeed in this ever-evolving industry. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of IT. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Bearded IT Dad, where we give you advice and insight on how to grow your career in the IT field. Today, we're actually going to be talking about the Log4j vulnerability and really get into the details of what it is and how to protect yourself. And to do that, we have a very special guest. You might know him from his work with Hack5, Mr. Rob Fuller. Welcome on the show, Rob. I I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us about the Log4j uh, vulnerability out there right now. No problem. So uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a brief moment and uh, kind of introduce yourself, uh, let people know what you do and uh, in your background. Oh my gosh. Um, I've worked for companies large and small. I've mostly been offensive security, but I've done my time as an incident responder. Uh, I've worked for big companies like General Electric and uh, small companies like, uh, 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 I guess Rapid7 isn't a small company anymore. Um, it used to be. <laughs> um, and, uh, but like uh, Silicon Valley government, I worked at the Pentagon, I worked at Uber, like, just all over the place. So uh, I also um, uh, helped out on Silicon Valley, the HBO show. I helped out uh, and I uh, podcaster sort of, I've been taking a very long elongated break um, on hack five. I'm trying to get back into it, but it's, it's been rough. That's all. Absolutely. Um, and let's kind of just dive right on into the topic right now. Uh, the log four J vulnerability. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge vulnerability out there right now. And I don't think we've seen something really on this scale in a long time. Do you mind kind of going in and kind of giving some people more background about it? Oh, um, background. I'm, I guess I'm not really the greatest person for background because I didn't even know log four J existed until, until Friday, right? Last Friday. Right. Um, and, uh, but the, but essentially what happened, as far as I know, there could be better backstory. Um, but essentially what happened was around 3 a.m., um, there was a, a tweet that referenced a GitHub repo or a GIST that had a, uh, attack vector, um, uh, for sending a specific type of string to web accounts or web, uh, web-based, uh, services. And then that would trigger a class load or Java. Like there's, I don't know like how the best way to explain this essentially. <laughs> um, but like this tweet came out and then it blew up and people were started seeing all kinds of different ways. And essentially what, what is happening is um, a certain type of string is being 
uh, interpreted instead of just written to logs. And Log4j is a logging library that is used in Java quite a bit, like all over the place, it seems, as, as everyone has found out. And so uh, this Log4j library that everyone uses, it's an open source library that two developers work on, which is amazing that they put all of this work into. Unfortunately, they had, you know, everyone misses bugs. So they missed a bug that uh, where they interpret um, this JNDI um, loader essentially that says, "Hey, load this class file or or try and load this thing so that I can interpret it." Just like in Bash, if you're familiar with Bash, where you say, "Hey, this you know this environmental variable is what I want you to use when I say username or something like that." That's essentially what this is doing. It's just taking a string and saying, "Do these things on it before you write it to the log file." And um, that's essentially what the vulnerability is: is that someone can tell a log, a logging thing, something that's doing logging to load a class file, which is a Java uh, uh, encode, not encoded, uh, compiled piece of code onto to interpret and tell it what to log, essentially. So if I, as an attacker, say, hey, um, I want you to load my class file from my evil website, and this class file says print one, all it's going to do is print the letter or the number one. Then what's happening in the, in a good sense is that this log is going to say, "Hey, username uh, Bob logged in." But when I put my JNDI string with my class file, it says username one logged in. And the crazy thing is that this class file can be whatever you want it to be. Right? It can be malicious code. It can be printing an A. It could be all kinds of stuff. And um, a lot of different URIs or you know different protocols can be used for this. So like LDAP, RMI, um, even something called Cobra, which I don't think people have uh, really dug into yet. It, Cobra is the old version of RMI, and I haven't seen too many people putting Cobra um, URIs into that yet, but we'll see. Um, but DNS is another one and such. So that's the kind of background of this. And it blew up on Friday, last Friday. Absolutely. And uh, do you actually know of you know, specific instances where this, this vulnerability has been exploited to, to cause you know, malicious intent or, or something like that? Oh, I mean, like real- yeah. Every, every, every company out there, people have been scanning the Internet trying to exploit this thing uh, for like a whole week, for all seven days. and. It's been really nuts because, uh, like I said, you can actually use uh, DNS as as one of those URIs, and you can exfiltrate essentially um, environmental variables or any other thing that you can have that Log4j interpret. So you can say, "Hey, give me the current you know path variable inside of this DNS request," and as long as it fits um, the protocol of DNS, it will come out. So to answer your question, have I seen actual attackers using these things to actually exploit things? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Awesome. Um, and, you know, this this is really kind of, I think, been an eye-opener for a lot of people, a lot of C-level people that normally wouldn't even bat an eye at something like this, you know, or think about it. It's really opened them up to the possibilities of these vulnerabilities. And I'm sure there's been a massive patching frenzy going on uh, for a lot of corporations. What other ways are there to really protect yourself against this vulnerability out there? 
So one of the things that I think is unique about this vulnerability is that it's not a straight up patch. It's, I mean, it is and it isn't, right? So most of the time when a vulnerability comes out, the, the, strategy, uh, the strategy, there we go, the strategy is to find the machine that has the vulnerability through vulnerability scanning or whatever, and then patch that vulnerability. The problem with it being a library, and this is another thing with the whole supply chain stuff that um, you can probably talk about another time or you have, already have a uh, cast on, but like, um, is that this is a library. This isn't a software package. This isn't a, um, you can't, you just, you can't go at um, search this library and grep for installed. You can't, you know, just say, Hey, is it installed on my windows box through the installed list of applications? This is a library that can be packaged all over the place. So even and the crazy thing is, even if you don't have Java installed on a Windows server, um, Java can be portable. Java can be packaged inside of other applications. So um, this library could be in an application that you don't even have Java installed on, but it's using Java because it's portable and then loading into an application that, you know, haven't, hasn't been changed in 20, 30 years. Um, well, I don't, you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Java has been around that long, um, but like, the so finding this thing is has been so hard, and that's what that's I think what has opened a lot of people's minds and and eyes open to this is that this type of vulnerability is very non-standard, right? It's not um, something that you can just go you know tell the vulnerability management team, hey, go fix this, and they do, right? This is a a hunt and search a lot of times, and for a lot of companies. Um, the best they can do is look on all of their operating systems to find if this exists. And even that's not enough because you have black box, you know, vendors that you can't access their internal, you know, software to find out if they have this vulnerability. So let's say that you bought, you know, vendor X and vendor X has this wonderful utility that manages a bunch of your servers and, but you don't have admin access to it. Uh, like GitHub Enterprise. GitHub Enterprise is a box that you don't have admin access to, to, you know, get root access to do things. Um, and there's a lot of those types of applications out there. How do you know if GitHub Enterprise isn't vulnerable to this? It's not that I know of, but like, I'm just using an example. You, you don't know, and you have to wait for these vendors to fix things. While all the while, a attacker could be sending these strings um, all over the place through user logins, through HTTP headers, through emails, through, uh, uh, SMS messages through just being having their username say that for their profile data, all kinds of stuff. Anywhere a log can be written about a thing, Java 4J might interpret it. And not even on the first layer either. That's the crazy thing. Like you can have a box that logs to another box that logs to another box that then has log 4J on it and then it gets exploited. And the attacker doesn't have to do any extra work to do it. Hey, we'll get right back into the conversation here in a second, but I want to talk about something crucial. AI is reshaping our business world and the cybersecurity landscape. As AI speeds up our workflows and opens new frontiers, it also brings complex challenges, especially when it comes to cyber threats. These are becoming more sophisticated and the stakes are higher than ever. AI has created a new form of cyber threats and is lowering the bar for novice cyber criminals while increasing the potential pool of threat actors. At the forefront of this battle is Palo Alto Networks. They are using AI to combat these AI enhanced threats. 
With their cutting-edge machine learning models, they offer near-real-time detection and prevention of cyber threats. From DNS hijacking to securing AI applications from the design phase, Palo Alto Networks is redefining cybersecurity. To accomplish this, they introduced Precision AI powered by Palo Alto Networks, a proprietary artificial intelligence system designed to enhance security operations across multiple dimensions. So if you're intrigued how AI can safeguard your digital space, head over to Palo Alto Networks and discover how Precision AI automates detection, prevention, and remediation with industry-leading accuracy. Okay, now back to the interview. That that's that's just insane, and it's it, it's it's really made it a lot easier, I think, for a lot of these exploits to to happen. Um, you know, and it really begs the question: what What do you think are some changes we're going to see as a result of the log four J vulnerability? Are things going to have to be done differently going forward? And uh, is is it going to make a lot more work for the folks that are managing these systems? So the pessimist in me says it's it's security. Nothing's ever going to change. The optimist in me says, hey, um, software bill of materials um, or um, S-bombs, as they're called, um, these are basically a way for you to not have admin access to event. Like, let's go back to the example of Vendor X. Like, I might not have access to root access to, you know, Vendor X's black box, but I can have a software bill of materials from it so that I know if, and let me explain what a software bill of materials is, is essentially a list of um, libraries and software that is used on a system or application or, or um, endpoint, right? So if I have this SBOM, I have a list of version numbers and software that is used. And so if say this vulnerability came out and I have log4j2.11 in my SBOM, and I can just look at it. Uh, now I know exactly what systems are vulnerable and it makes life so much easier. And do I see this being a vendor product at RSA in a couple of weeks? Absolutely. Do I think that everyone's going to implement it in, you know, in less than a year? No, but I think that it is definitely eye-opening. This vulnerability is eye-opening. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's eye-opening to people that say, you know, that, those kinds of requirements, when you buy a, a vendor product, when you ask for you know a, a piece of software, those kinds of requirements are going to be on those legal uh, like statements of works and, and, and agreements um, uh, in the coming years or if not months. Absolutely. So one of the big things that I've been really frustrated with is there's tons of bad information out there um, and not, not intentional bad information, just people putting stuff out that they don't understand how people will react to this. Like um, when 2.15 came out for log4j, um, that was the patch that came out in December, I think December 12th. Um, that actually fixed the vulnerability that uh, we're talking about. And everyone was moving to 2.4 or 2.15 or, or 2.12.2 when they could, right? And that was the big rush. And then 2.16 came out because there was a denial of service in specific configurations for 2.15, but everyone was already in firefighting mode that when people say, hey, this one's vulnerable too, um, now everyone has to reset and go, oh crap, like this this is vulnerable too. I I, I have to go to 2.16 or nothing. Like 2.15 is not, you know, not good enough anymore. And 
that actually does so much harm to organizations because there's already a low morale because they're working over the weekend to try and fix this thing. Now they think they have to go reset down to 2.16 and everyone hates security because of it. And all, you know, all of this stuff is happening and it feels like the sand is shifting under their, uh, under their uh, feet every time. So they don't want to do this anymore. Like admins and, and system and vulnerability management and all of these teams that are making these huge changes to get this thing fixed are getting tired of security saying, well, you know, there's 2.17 now. Um, and, you know, there might be a vulnerability in 2.17 or 2.16 or 2.15. Um, but uh, people are just not taking the time to look into it any further and just trusting what they see on Twitter or, or, or on, you know, the CV details or whatever. And it's frustrating because those are, those are like a tweet from a researcher on the internet gets thousands of retweets or whatever. And those are decisions or those are the things that like CEOs and stuff are making decisions on and based on. And it's really scary how much power security has when it comes to this and how like lack of responsibility, I guess it is when um, you see like those types of decision or like those those types of things coming out from researchers and them not understanding the impact they're having or or discounting the impact they're having on organizations during a firefight like this yeah that's that's a really great point and i think that a lot of people don't realize um you know it's amazing the power that social media really has on people that make that are making the decisions that don't quite understand what their decisions decisions they're making. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, I just want to kind of get your opinion. How do you weed through all this? Because there's tons of information coming out right now. There is yeah. like, it, it's coming out minute by minute. How do you weed through all the BS out there? When when you get new information as as an executive or as a, as a uh, manager or whatever, um, you have to, you have to take a step back and, and assess that information on your own. Now, if you don't have the technical know-how to say this is bad, this is not, you have to count on, you know, people who are more technical than you to to help you make that decision. But having a measured approach, having a step back and and saying is this true um and not just taking, you know, the 500 articles that are written um by news agencies to that, you know, this thing is super bad or this vulnerability has another vulnerability and you have to patch to like news articles get paid by clicks and the more clicks they get, um, you know, the better. And so if they make it more sensational, it makes it better for them. Now there are plenty of news outlets that try and get it right. And, but like, they're just as susceptible to, you know, the sensationalism of social media and the security community at large as well. So if a researcher that's generally, you know, Uh, trusted says, Hey, you know, 2.17 has a vulnerability or 2.20 has a vulnerability or whatever. Um, They're going to take that and run with it. And I think that the security community and Twitter and all, you know, not Twitter, the company, but like Twitter, let's infosec Twitter and I, you know, on LinkedIn and all this stuff, we have to take responsibility for the, the chaos that we are causing inside of companies when we do this stuff. Now, do I think some of that's intentional? Maybe. Do I think that, um, uh, that a lot of people don't, un- they underestimate their power and their, their ability to sway large companies making decisions about this thing. Absolutely. And I, I just don't know what the right answer there is for, I think that 
um, as a manager or as a, as a leader, you just got to step, take a step back, breathe a little and say, okay, um, how much of this is actually true? Because like, as we've learned from years of social media, that a lot of, a lot of social media is just hype and, and, you know, yelling and screaming at the wind. Absolutely. Um, and I really appreciate you take coming on and t- I don't want to take up too much of your weekend here. Um, you know, if people want to go find out more information, do you have like a trusted news source you'd like to point towards? Ooh. Um, I think Dan Gooden, um, does an amazing job. Uh, I, for some reason, can't fr- figure out or remember his publication. I think it's ZDNet, but I, I apologize if that's wrong. But Dan Gooden, we'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. We'll figure it out and put a link link to it in the description. But all right, um, he does an amazing job. I think that um, uh, Steve, oh, man, what's his last name? Anyways, um, there's there's plenty of uh, re- news articles and people out there that do their best to get the things right, and even they um, sometimes will get it wrong, or they're they're you know, chasing after it as fast as they can to get the information out. Because the this the problem with Log4j was as soon as it was released, it was a race between bad actors, researchers, and companies. And it was basically who got to the finish line first on, could I exploit things? Could I figure this out? Because it was so easy to exploit, because it was just like change the string around change the line of text around it was so easy to exploit that it was literally a battle between and a race between all three of the major actors on the internet right the companies the and even standard users right if i have you know a iot device at home i have no idea if it has log4j on it um and it's been a race to find this i don't think the race is done i think there's a lot more of this race to happen um but it's it's been nuts and to throw a wrench or to throw a rock in the front of companies trying their best to stay ahead of this thing i think is just detrimental and i don't know if there's a better word i don't want to say it's you know uh criminal but like you got you got to understand that the ra- this race is happening and i think that a lot of pen testers and red, red teamers and and researchers just don't understand that that's that dynamic uh really quick did you is there anything else that you think we should be covering oh my gosh um yes i think the next thing you should absolutely cover is the sam account um renaming stuff if you haven't covered that already that came out just the same time as log4j and it's just as bad and if i can give one if i can give one real quick um oh absolutely uh suggestion to anyone looking at the um uh, I think it's called like the Sam account name uh, bypass or, or re- reset or something like that. I don't remember the end of it, but um, this vulnerability has been patched by Microsoft, but it's still very much a vulnerability that you can see on domain controllers. And the best thing you can do is set that machine quota down to zero. Um, essentially one of the biggest uh, attack vectors that uh, people have on Active Directory and Windows these days is the ability to create new c- accounts using that uh, machine quota uh, uh, setting. And if you, as an organization, set it to zero, they can't do any of these. And especially this new one, this new vulnerability came out. So set it to zero, make your organization way better with one small setting that essentially makes it so that standard users can't make new computer accounts, which they shouldn't be anyways, um, and you will be much safer. So if I could offer anything to your audience, that would be the number one thing to do tomorrow. 
Awesome. I, I really appreciate that. And I, I really hope I can have you on the channel again. Uh, you know, this has been really great. You've been a, a wealth of knowledge and I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Absolutely. Well, if uh, people want to go, uh, people want to find you online, uh, you know, can they find you on Twitter and LinkedIn or? Yeah, mostly Twitter at Mubix, M-U-B-I-X. Um, LinkedIn, I am there occasionally. Um but mostly on Twitter because that's where InfoSec Twitter is. Essentially, there's a lot of research and, and information that comes out there. I really haven't seen the community be anywhere else as much as it is there. So um, that's where I am usually. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. And until next time, take it easy. Thanks for tuning in to the Bearded IT Dad. We hope you found today's episode helpful and informative. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure to rate and leave a review as it helps more people find the show. If you want more of the Bearded IT Dad, be sure to check out our YouTube channel for additional career tips and IT insights. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platforms for updates on new episodes and exclusive content. Until next time, keep learning.